Hello, and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for those curious about the non-finance aspects or the human side of working in accounting and finance. I'm Susan Nicriazon, and while I believe there is beauty in balancing a set of financial statements, the intricacies that underpin the workings are wondrous. The real beauty for me is in working with people. The intricacies that underpin our workings are wondrous too. And not one particular combination of input or formula will ever generate the same result. Join me and my guests as we place a lens on some of these wondrous intricacies that make us unique. And as we share insights, knowledge and strategies to inspire your life beyond the numbers. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Billy O'Connor. Billy, you're most welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers. Thank you. Billy, is it fair to say that you've pursued a life beyond the numbers? You started out with KPMG, and were you aware then that people are as important as numbers? Or more so even? Okay, yeah, a a really good question to kick off. I would say that I've always been aware of my personality style and type of person that I am. I I think I fell into accountancy more than thought about, God, this is what I really, really want to do. And actually, it was the next door neighbour at home whose son was an accountant. And my mother said, you should be an accountant. He's He's got a grand job and he's he's over there now in London. So I had no real goal as such, other than when I left school, I decided to do, go in and do a BCom. Then I did accountancy as a kind of an extra subject and it actually got me into college, believe it or not. So I said, maybe there's something here. Anyway, I did a BCom and then the milk round came around and KPMG offered me a job. So I went in there. At the time, you did your five years and jobs weren't easy to come by quite frankly so the job came up uh, as an internal auditor in uh, the first externally appointed internal auditor in a local bank in, in cork I, I got the job maybe when i went in there they thought that maybe this internal auditor is behaving in a way that internal auditors shouldn't because because you you were supposed to i think an internal auditor lock yourself away in a room and then appear every so often and frighten everyone and frighten everyone yeah exactly but um I started going out and being nice to people and saying, listen, I'm here to help you guys. And internal audit really is there to make sure that there's no fraud and there's no, you know, and that just checks and balances. So I built a bit of a reputation of, and then I started getting interested in doing maybe lecturing and a bit of tax and so on. So I was going around and giving courses for the bank on how to complete your income tax returns and so on. So I, listen, Susan, I realised I was a showman from day one, right? <laughs> so I, I eventually... um moved up got into an accountancy an accountancy role now this is the interesting thing, the thing about it i, I became financial ac- uh, accountant then financial controller but i think as i went through the organization i kind of realized that i'm not sure whether i wanted to be in an institution for the rest of my life you know mm-hmm. uh as i say who wants to be in an institution there was an option around the mid 90s for me to take a package now there were two banks came together uh, and i put my hand up and there was two and three of everything, I suppose, in those organisations at the time. And uh, I was saying, God, do I really want it? Anyway, my father, uh, God rest him, was a, was a self-employed electrical contractor. And we ate, slept and drank now the, the business around the kitchen table. So I always loved 
the kind of cut and thrust of doing that kind of stuff and I said to myself you know before I leave this earth I'm going to actually run, I'm going to work for myself so it was just a, a, a meeting of uh, of that situation and an opportunity and, uh, and and a bit of luck and I decided to to work for the bank for three years as an independent uh, consultant so that's what got me on the road the seeds were always there that I wanted to kind of get out and work with lots of different people in different organizations and I think I was naturally curious you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. um, and I think that I think I and for anybody listening and anybody that wants to leave an organization uh, I think you have to be have that curiosity about and and, and that bit of nosiness you know that she's got to, I'd love to know what's going on behind that wall there you know what I'm saying how can I get stuck in to... okay yeah yeah exactly can, how, how can I go in there and see if I can help them you know? so, so where so, did you go what what yeah. What was next, Billy? I do. Mm. Okay, I tell you, I tell you what was next. Uh, well, in order for me to to work with the bank for three years, I had to obviously move from employed to self-employed, and uh, I said, well, the only way I can do this anyway is to set up a little accountancy practice. So I set that up, which, by the way, I still have, but the 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 revenue in it is, is zero. Uh, I, I was only using it really as a vehicle, and uh, I started doing things like tax and accountancy. And you know what, Susan, I didn't like it. Mm. I, I I said, oh my God, this is this is so. But I loved the consultancy side of things, and I, as luck had it, I when my term in the bank was kind of coming up, I came across a company in Dublin who were looking for business advisors and consultants around the country, and and I joined them, and uh, the minute I went in there, Susan, I have to say, I found what I was looking for, as, as the old U two sound says, right? I you know. I, I did find what I was looking for because it, it was all things like the whole psychology of success, right? Mm-hmm. Um, personal development programs, um, strategic thinking and planning, facilitating of a training program. I, I, in fact, one of the things that I absolutely loved, despite the fact that I was trained to within an inch of my life of being an accountant, but I, I loved the whole area of sales and business development and, help, mm-hmm. and helping, to, helping to grow businesses, right? And so I worked with that company for about four or five years and then decided in, in the early, in fact, 2001, 20, 20 years ago, in fact, coming up Brilliant. next month, I set up the, the Discovery Partnership and uh, I'm not saying I didn't have ups and downs. There were, there were plenty of times that I had beans and toasts because when you're in consultancy and when you're running your own business, I guarantee you there are days when, unlike an accountancy practice where you probably have a, re- a recurring fee every year and unless you screw up, you tend to get it. With with them consultancy, you get maybe twelve or eighteen months out of a company, and then you become part of the issue, and then you have to move on. You're all the time, the hunter. You're all the time the finder. Do you understand? I do. And it's a lonely role at times. It is a lonely role. I was doing pretty well for myself. I I kind of talked myself into working with one of the banks. I think I got in under the radar. I shouldn't have got in there, but I did, and. Uh, <laughs> But, but anyway, I started working with this particular bank and I've, I eventually found myself doing gigs in Cork, Dublin, Limerick, Thurles, up the north, all, all left, right and centre. I was, I was travelling around the country and you know, the money was great, but I was absolutely getting, I was, I was like a, a rasher from, from just all of the, the hard work. So as it happened, a colleague of mine said, you know, Bill, I think you could, and I, and I was thinking to myself, that maybe I could franchise and license the business. Tell us so first, actually, what is the business though? What, it, what okay, was the Discovery Partnership or is? Well, the, 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 the Discovery Partnership was essentially a, a, a carry on of the, the business that I, that I joined in Dublin. 
uh, where we were doing things like we were doing business advisory effectively. First of all, you had to you had to get in on, into the head of the owner manager or director of the business, and and once you uh, influence him or her, then it was a matter of cascading down. You know, because a lot of the challenges, Susan, that I found with businesses was was sitting in front of me, the the actual owner of the business. Uh, the, 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 the challenge was there right yes and, uh, and I had to kind of suddenly and, and suddenly there were a lot of pennies being dropped oh my god maybe it's me is the issue and my communication style or my behavior or my the way that I'm managing or the way and as you know the word facil comes from the latin for easy to easy right mm-hmm. I, did, I did latin in school and I, I it's amazing the number of words that actually come up uh, in, in to, to this day that are rooted in latin but facilitator means making making it easy mm-hmm. so I was hopefully making it easy for for these individuals to affect uh, change in their business usually starting off with the man or the woman in the mirror <laughs> do you understand and, certainly uh, do okay and, and a, a lot of the time it was kind of just the habit of maybe of the way they're expressing and, and maybe blaming or or giving out about somebody else and really what what people were doing it's it i mean what i was really unearthing and diagnosing because i think that's that's what a good consultant does and i'm not saying no i'm the, I'm the world's greatest or anything but i think what a what a, what a, a consultant does is listen yes and, <laughs> ask, and ask and ask consultative questions ask uh, diagnostic questions it's like it reminds me of of you're going into a like okay a gp will kind of poke out maybe certain things that is whatever but then when you get into a specialist they really start digging and as, as, as one of my mentors one time said, you know, it might be coming out as a rash on your hand, but you know what? The issue is actually your heart or your diet or your, your lungs or something, right? I suppose I've developed a kind of a skill for asking diagnostic questions and getting to the, the cause. And yeah, once the root you cause. Once you, de- once you identify the root cause of anything, now you can deal with it. Yes. Putting, putting on sticky plaster on challenges and, and problems and I don't like to use the word problems, but putting them on problems really only just delays the, the inevitable and uh, and it'll come out somewhere else again. So, in fact, I'll give you an interesting example, Susan, for the listeners now, I'm, I'm showing here now, I've got 25 letters in my hand here, right? Mm-hmm. This, this is a survey that I've done with a company up the country. I haven't mm-hmm. opened the surveys yet, but they've all come in. So there's a batch of surveys, 25 surveys. I'm now going to open and this is all done now with the, with with the each member of staff from the owner right through to the the newest recruit and i've asked a series of of statements on a kind of a likert scale you know if this company were perfect in every way you'd be ticking off saying yeah i totally agree with that statement so i've got about 20 or 30 statements like that and then i have another uh, kind of qualitative data that i ask people to say well if there was a magic wand what would you do? What advice would you give the owners of the business? Within a couple of hours now, I will have a probably a very good idea, Susan, as to what is the issue with this particular company, right? Uh, I, I think I know already because I've been dealing with the senior management team and I, I kind of have an idea as to what's mm. going on. Right? Mm. But, mm. But, this, but I convinced them recently to, to allow me to talk to all of the staff just to confirm what I suspect. Now, I'm, I, let, I, let, I let you know, Susan, in a couple of weeks' time whether I was right or not. <laughs> so what we do, Susan, to, to answer that in a very long-winded way, is that we I help diagnose the issues and I, and I, I then put 
actions and plans in place to help them to fix it. Right. That's Perfect. It. Yeah. 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 And, and, and but in the context of where the the business is is heading. In other words, it's like back from the future thinking. And I, I'll talk about maybe a process that I've developed, which we call two one four three, and it's actually it's four steps. But essentially, what I'm doing right now is step one for this particular company. Mm-hmm. Step one is getting the facts, diagnosing where they are on the road. You know, mm-hmm. tell me the tell me what we should stop doing and start doing and all mm-hmm. that. Um. Step two will be to look back the road and say, well, look, why, why is it like that right now? What's happened in the last couple of years that has brought us to this particular position? I, I, I have three kids. When they were young, they kept asking why. Why is that? Yeah. Why is that? They say that if you ever want to understand, I think as the Japanese say, if you ever want to kind of get to the, the real answer of a, to an issue, you have to ask why. Is it five or five? Or five seven? times, I think, yeah. Five times, yeah. Why? And I use that all of the time. So why is that now? And, and why is that? And then you get to the answer. I'm a bit of a why merchant. Then once you understand the why and where we are right now, step three is to then say, well, look, okay. If, if you now could, let's say, close your eyes. And I often say this right, to, to people, right? Today is the whatever date is. And I, and I always jump three years ahead. Mm-hmm. I say, if we were having this conversation in three years time, what would you love the business to I call it the be do have. Now, if people want to look up be do have, there are lots of uh, infographics out there about be do have. But be do have is very much about what do you want to be known for. Mm-hmm. What what kind of values? What if if people do be talking about you, as we say in Cork, right? <laughs> what what have you what have you become? You know, what people what what do people be saying about you? Um, what if, that's the B. As a result of those values and be and living those values, what are you doing? What activities are you actually doing? And more importantly, in, in fact, in fact, what maybe are you not doing that you're that you're doing today that you shouldn't be doing? So sometimes having clarity about about the right. But as a result then of the doing, you have the have. And the have is where my accountancy pack comes in, where I say, right, tell me what sales you're going to have. How many customers are you going to have? What's going to be the average sale? What's your gross profit margin going to be? How many staff are you going to have? Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Uh, what markets are you in? Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. a very metric-driven uh, statement. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the be-do-have. And then once you actually get into the be-do-have and people think about that, I then kind of snap them back into where you are right now. And I say, right, okay, now, now we know where we are right now and we know where we want to get to. What are the steps now we need to get to, 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 to that? Right. So that's step four, the action. Yeah. And it's really interesting, Billy, because in a way... You... <sighs> You would think that every organization should be doing this all the time anyway. Oh, no, they don't. Oh, no, they don't. Oh, no, they don't. In fact, what I'll, what I'll tell you, Susan, is that they leave out one of the steps. They leave out step three. And the step three is clarity about where they are going to be in the next three years. So they're great at diagnosing. They're great at understanding where they come from. They have a vague idea of maybe where they might be getting to. But they don't commit it to paper. And what they do is they come in every day doing step four, which is actions. And the actions are, the actions take them anywhere. Oh, of course. I mean, if you're just doing any action any day, you feel busy. And you're yeah, and isn't it great? Look, I look at all the work I have and yeah. look, at all, look what I'm doing and my, and my entry. But if you don't have clarity, and there's the word, if you don't have clarity about what it is that you want to be and do and have in the next three years, broken down between one, two and, th- and three, 
because there will be milestones along the way. And as Alice in Wonderland, any road will take you. You know, how do I get to wherever? Well, any road will take you if you don't know where if you don't know where you're heading. Absolutely, yeah. No, that's yeah. that's fascinating because strategic planning or strategic plans yes. seem to be talked about a lot. Certainly, yeah. any organisation I've been in, we've had yeah. one. Yeah. So, are people just not being clear enough when they're doing this work? Correct. I I I think first of all, they uh, even if they do do it, it's possibly a bit of lip service. It's put up on the shelf, and then it, it, people forget about it. And this is one of the things I learned about 25 years ago, in fairness to the company I was with. We, we called it strategic thinking and planning. Because anybody can do a plan, but can you actually sit down and think? Because you're in a thinking game, do you have to spend your time thinking. And it's one of the great, I suppose, important and not urgent activities that, that managers can do. Uh, one, of the greatest, one of the greatest returns on your investment is to do the things that are important but not urgent. There's nobody jumping up and down demanding that you do strategic planning. You understand? Yeah. There's nobody jumping up and down in front of you. So it's important, yet it's important. No, mm. no, and what I mean by not urgent means that you can put it off. Oh, yeah. 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 So so a lot of the time when I, that I see what I see organizations doing is they, is they put off these important things like like strategic thinking and planning, like, you know, uh, customer surveys, like things like, I oh, will do that now tomorrow, we'll do that, will that now, when, when Venus crosses Mars, you know, and it never happens. Yeah, uh, in favour of taking action. Yes, they, 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 what they do is they say, no, we just react and we, and we act, whereas they don't sit back and think about, about what, what is it that they want to be and do and have. And once that penny drops with somebody, that, that every day, Every day we have an opportunity now to actually take action that actually will bring us to this goal. You understand? And uh, and if you don't have a and if you don't have the team, and what I find is that you might have the owner manager, or you might have maybe the accountant, or you might have maybe the production manager, or you might have something. And this does not cascade down. They they have it in their their in their heads, but they don't actually cascade it down to everybody. In the organization now not everybody in the organization needs to be involved in the strategic planning process process but but if it starts with a survey you have you're morally obliged i think to say guys we're doing this process because we want a bit of clarity about where the heck we're going and it starts with you tell me what do you think it's like to work around here mm-hmm. and what do you find billy when you do surveys like this are people generally heading in the same direction or are they all over the shop there are extremes. There are some organizations that are, I would say, pretty pretty decent. But you know what? Even the best organization, you will always find the word communications coming out. Mm. I don't know what's going on. Nobody ever tells me anything. You know, it's them up there in the office doing whatever they, the magic they're doing, right? It, it, there seems to be just this. And yet and yet the guys upstairs who are doing this kind of stuff are are, are, are just as, as much struggling, but they don't communicate that. There's there's not enough clarity and honesty, I think, between the, the senior management team and the people at the coalface who, and all their, and, and they might be shifting boxes, but, but the person who's shifting boxes is as important as the person who's, who, who's, who's out trying to sell boxes. I would also say, by the way, Susan, that the most important person in the organization is the salesperson, is the sales director. The sales manager. Forget about the chief executive. Forget about the financial controller. Forget about the production guy. If you don't have sales, you have nothing. That's why I I always emphasize 
in an organization, how, how competent and how committed are the salespeople in your organization? Because they will determine the success. Because when you when you cut through all the bull, Susan, right? And I mean this now, right? Businesses survive because of one thing and one thing only, and that's high sales. And business will fail because of one thing, that's low sales. And I've seen organizations who are spluffing along there simply because they have kind of tolerated maybe poor sales performance or they're all having great meetings, but nothing's happening. There's no kind of closing deals and there's no metrics. Metrics are the most important thing, in fact. If a sales guy is, is not kind of coming back and saying, well, I had 20 meetings in the last week or month or whatever it is, and my conversion rate is 4 or 5 or 6 or, 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 or 10%, or 20%, 30%. If you don't have those kind of metrics, people it'll just drift on and on right and that's why you know maybe technology nowadays with things like salesforce and all these other bits of technology are prerequisite now for running a an organization so you now can tangibly measure track and measure and track and measure so that's what we do really in a way susan we we come in and we diagnose the, the company where the where the challenges are we we then prescribe and and maybe and maybe there are different prescriptions it could be first of all, you know, so like getting in, you need to lose, you need to lose three or four stone first of all lines before you start, before you start sprinting, and so you fix the things that need fixing, and then hopefully over time, whatever, because this takes time. Oh, absolutely, uh, and I think it's not a challenge as well, Billy. Do people believe that when you come in, you'll have some sort of magic potion that will get them all rocking the next day? Yeah, exactly. There are expectations and sometimes because of my personality type, I can paint pictures in people's heads and say, God, this sounds easy. Let's go in and do it. But then they, then, then the hard work starts. Some companies are, are really good. This some, some When I get some some surveys back, my God, I mean, you'd wonder how in God's name can this company ever kind of retrieve itself from the, the culture or the, or the mistrust or the lack of communications or the... Um, that is quite a challenge for me. And a lot of the time that the companies where I do get poor feedback from the staff, um, it's because of the owners of the business. Yeah. yeah, it, is, yeah. it is absolutely the cause and effect is because the owners or the directors or the managers in the company have just allowed this to happen. Yeah. Okay, they have And not overnight. It's been a gradual. Oh no, no, God, no! It's never overnight. No, no. This is this is this is cultural issues, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so as 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 one of the the great gurus said, culture trumps everything, really. Oh yeah, yeah. You no. Know? Yeah. Um, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And 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 I can and I can see that. Um, in fact, that organization now that I'm dealing with at the moment, I got a bit of a vibe recently because I've, I've been working with the senior management team there and I got a bit of a vibe that the talk around the water cooler is why would I be telling this external consultant all of this stuff? Because do you know what? What will probably happen is that we become more efficient and we make more money and wait for it. The owners will probably be driving around in fancier cars. <laughs> There's the effect now of, of something happening to you, right? And what's the cause of that? The cause of that is maybe that the owners have been swanning around. It's the attitude that they have, right? Now, that is going to take a huge amount of remedial action, right? Because, quite honestly, what I'd love the staff to be saying is, isn't it great that they are driving around in, in, in new cars because you know what? That means we're all doing well and there's a there's a career here for me and a future. 
no, that's a purpose, you, something I can believe it, in. Yes, but however, Susan, that's all very well to say, but suppose you have an owner or a managing director going around, swanning around, and, and this is this is the attitude. People, as we say, smell that from a hundred miles away, right? And they will and they'll and they'll resent it. Now, this is why having a, a cohesive and, and, and team and, and having that kind of communications are, are critically important. In fact, I must tell you a quick story, Susan, that I've that I, I came across a number of years ago that I've used all the time for when somebody says to me, describe the ideal team. It's a fair question. I always use the Hewlett Packard example because what actually happened a number of years ago is that Hewlett Packard globally decided that they wanted to go out and diagnose um, what the highest performing teams look like. Give me their profile. Now, they employed thousands of consultants and went around the world and started right, and they came back with volumes of, of stuff and so on. And the managing director at the time said no i don't want this in volumes i want you to boil it down and boil it down and distill it down and keep distilling it down until they distilled it down to five things mm-hmm. now and i said oh my god isn't this great right and, and and every time i use these five things to measure against a company it's amazing how it, it just clarifies everything the first thing believe it or not that this that hewlett packard found in high performing teams was that they had shared values now, something now as simple as that, what, what does that mean? That means that when we come in every day, we behave to one another and we behave to our stakeholders and our customers and our bosses and in this way. And what are the ways, right? So when we say things like respect and we say things like courtesy and so on, what does that actually mean when it turns up on a, on a Monday morning? It means, for example, that if we say we have a meeting at nine o'clock, we have a meeting at nine o'clock. That isn't at 10 past nine and we all drift in with our, you know, going for coffee. In fact, I, I've got a company working with me at the moment and I, I, was, I was challenging him about this the other day. And now this is a company that has really embraced strategic thinking and planning and systems and processes. And they, he said to me, the owner said to me, we have a meeting every morning at 8.42. Now, I said, it, does it call the 8.42 meeting? What more? It's, a, it's like, it's not 8.43, it's not 8.45, it's not 8.35, it's 8.42. We all just turn up at it and we're there for 8.42. And there's a big clock there, right? And we stand underneath it for about 10, 10 15 minutes and we tell everybody about whatever. Then the, the, the owner, the managers in their business then, of the, of the divisions, go off and they have another five minutes with their team. So there's nobody in the organisation that doesn't know about what the hell's going on. No, they do that every day. I couldn't believe it. Hail, rain or snow. Well, it's little and often. Little and often. No, so in other words, so they have decided that communications and and respect and, and telling people what's going on is one of their strong values and, and keep everybody included. In fact, Hertzberg's theory of motivation, I use that a lot when I try to explain to people that, you know, your team and your staff, they do value things like the, what we call the hygiene factors. They do value things like having nice warm offices and teas and coffees and the toilets are nice and clean and so on oh you know the the things that are more paid on time things like that yeah the basics the basics but it's never enough to have the basics if you want to get the best out of the team you have to have this other ingredient and the other ingredient is called motivation and Hertzberg Hertzberg identified that it's things like asking people for their opinion 
um, asking them, how do you feel? What do you think? How's work going on at the moment? You know, just... Well, engaging be... with them as people. Engaging, engaging, yeah. And it's so, and it's so, it costs nothing. And it's so easy, it's so easy to do. So, getting back to what I said about Hewlett-Packard. So the first one was shared shared values. And, and, and that's now sitting down and agreeing that these are the five or seven things maybe that we are, we as an owner, as a manager of the business, and you as, as my person reporting to me, or me reporting to whoever, this is how I'm going to behave. Number two, it was shared goals and objectives. In other words, everybody knew on the team, it appeared, where whatever, whether it was a project or whatever, whatever, that this is where the big ship was heading. This is where we were, do you understand? This is where we're going. And, and we had goals and objectives and milestones and so on. Number three, you had shared tasks and responsibilities. That, that everybody knew what their job was. There was no kind of... Now, that didn't mean to say that I wouldn't do this or I wouldn't do that for you. There was obviously re reciprocal arrangements and reciprocity and, and that we, we all shared things. But the point was that there, there was that there was clarity about what they were doing and uh, what my role and function was. That, that, and not creating it. silos around and that, it. And absolutely not creating silos around it. Exactly. In fact, that's one of the that's one of the huge issues that I find, Susan, in my mm. in my surveys. Oh my God, that's not my job, you know. And there are some divisions then they're like a herd of wild beasts at half five heading down the stairs way out, whereas there's another department and they're working all the hours that God gave them. There needs to be a fair sharing of, of work and responsibility. Number four, the leaders of the organization or the team led the action. They didn't become the actual center of attention or they, or they didn't empire build or they didn't. They just made sure that the job got done. They you walk know, the walk and they talk they walk. the talk. Exactly. No, these all sound very bloody basic. Right? <laughs> they but, are. But you know what? <laughs> but you know what? When when you actually go and diagnose and you actually go and you ask people, do you have shared values? Do you have... Ob the answer beats me. Not... not we never... No, and so and, and the, the final one. thing, yeah, and the final and the final thing, which the by the way, the American companies are really good at, and and that's certainly come into a lot of Irish companies as well. There's there's continual evaluation and review. There's in other words that that high performing teams always seem to have this metric of weekly or monthly or they're always on about the the scores on the doors, you know, and and therefore they don't allow things to drift on. They fix it. So I tend to use that, Susan, a lot in organisations. I have a lovely exercise, actually, that, that I that I get. And I, I think maybe some of your listeners should think about this. Just an ordinary flip chart. Flip charts are great. Right? Oh, they are. Yeah. Putting three, putting three flip charts up on the wall regularly and saying, OK, what are the things that we should stop doing as a team today? Right. Or stop or, or do less of our eight. Right. OK, now, no. by the way, it's 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 um. Quantity over quality. Stop debating this. Just just get stuff down on paper. You can always kind of prioritize them later on. What should we start doing? What are the things that we should commence or, or take up, you know? Things that we... And finally, to end on a positive note, what are the things that we're really bloody good at and we should continue doing, right? Because we're really good at this and, and maybe we need to develop it and enhance it and so on. So, so... I, I think regular diagnostics like that and, and like, like you go to a doctor and do your medical check, check mm. I think you can do a, a, a self-diagnostic. But we tend to avoid things until something goes wrong. We do. 
that's correct. Rather that's than correct. doing your kind of MOT, going every year yeah. and saying, yeah. let's yeah. just check it out and see what's happening. And it gets back to what I said a while ago about the Hertzberg side of things. In other words, people love to be asked their opinion. You know, what, what, what do you think? And it, take, it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to do it. Bring in a couple of sticky, sticky buns and a coffee and sit around and... But you have to show that you are actually listening as well, Billy. It's not <coughs> enough to say, just this tell me what's... This can't be lip service. Yeah, I mean, I've been in enough places where we've been asked our opinion, but no one gave a crap. Well, well, that, in fact, that's that's even worse. That's that's worse. That's worse than um, not asking people at all. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's important yeah. for the leadership, especially, or the managers, yeah. the owners, whoever, to self-reflect yeah. first. Yeah. Before. I mean, this, this survey that I'm, that I'm about to open and uh, analyze soon, I've told these guys, guys, I tell you what, if you dare, if you dare not bring be- these results back to the to the staff, right? And if you dare not act on them, now you can, you mightn't be able to act on everybody. In other words, somebody might put in there, we want a 50% pay rise or something like that, right? You have to be realistic. Uh, but if you if you dare not go back and and address every one of those things and say, well, here's where we are, we, we certainly will implement this, and we can't we can't do that for right now because one of the things that I'm interested in, in in doing here is that in twelve months time I'm going to do this again. Now, have you improved, guys, or have you not? This is another metric, right? And and no, and, and and as I said to you, for certain organisations who are probably up the curve on this, there's organisations like a, a great place to work where you can where you can really measure yourself across a whole series of, of, of areas and that's something that I would encourage people to do as well mm. um, so so Susan um, my background is, is as a chartered accountant but I suppose I, I always say I escaped you know and, <laughs> I, shouldn't, I shouldn't say that really but but I did because I'll tell you I had 15 years of doing numbers and figures and and my personality was completely opposite to to that right and that brings me to i suppose maybe understanding your personality and your psych and your psychometric profiling you know I, I was doing what i would call a very introverted thinking type of job whereas my personality was very uh, extroverted and kind of feeling and emotion and dealing with people now that i reflect on it and i can reflect after 15 years been doing one job and maybe 20 odd years doing another job I can reflect on the fact that I probably was a bit of a square peg in round hole, you know. The light bulb go off for people. Oh. Well, I can only say what happened in my case. But yeah. there, was, there was a light bulb went off, right? Uh, and it was actually, I think, the day that I actually saw what this other organisation were doing and that I can that I could still use my accountancy kind of uh, knowledge and understanding of sales and gross profitability and balance sheets and P&Ls and budgeting and so on. But that, that, that I could kind of bring in that into the, my business, but but also focus in on, on more of what I call the softer side, the people, the, the, the productivity, the time, the culture, the dealing with the clients. Because I, I have a model that I use, you know, if I'm ever kind of going and talking to companies, there are like the resources that normally accountants are pretty good at would be things like obviously the money, the products and services and the margins and the physical stuff like the equipment. and uh, But however... They're the kind of what I call the hard resources in in organizations. But however, what what really gets a business going are the soft resources, which are the people. Uh, The use of time, which is which is in a lot of organizations is a disaster, quite frankly. And and number three, it's like it's like the intangible 
what it's like to work around here type of cultural things right and right in the middle of all of those kind of um, resources are your the people that pay the bills which is the customers and 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 if you haven't those if you're not if you if you haven't your customers right in the middle of your life and right in the middle of the the boardroom table and right in the middle of the, the minds of the, of of the of the staff you have a challenge in the business you know and and we try to spend a lot of time on the kind of customer care and and what i call the kind of the, the, the client centric approach yeah 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 because often yeah people become very insular or inward focused they forget about why they're doing it right and they, yeah and they forget about who pays them right mm, mm. you know you know, and that's why I'm saying that when you look at it then and stand back at it from a, a helicopter view, one of the most important, if the not most important function. I'm, in fact, I'm helping a company at the moment identify a, a sales director. Mm-hmm. I have a brilliant company at the moment I'm working with, right? But there has been there have been a couple of mistakes made in the recruitment of, of key hires, right? And they are senior, the most senior key hires. So there's a succession issue with the owner of the business and the, and the key hire now is a new sales director but that sales director potentially could probably become the managing director in time he or she whoever this person is right but there was a there was a big mistake made a couple of years ago where this person just uh, hired somebody parachuted this individual in to become the managing director and buggered off right and the company nearly folded you know because I mean, you're now a senior member of this team and suddenly you have a new boss uh, without any kind of consultation or whatever like that and a disaster. I suppose what I would, what I would say to you, Susan, is that, is that what I find is that, and I say this a lot and I know it sounds like a bit of a joke, but all your problems really come with a head and two arms and two legs, you know? They, 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 they do at the end of the day, right? Cause, and then you, have, you, then, you have pe- then you have two people coming, to, kind of coming together and you have four people coming together and you can square, as I say, the number of problems and challenges because you have different personalities, you have different attitudes, and you have different backgrounds. Well, yeah, it's all, everybody has their unique view of the world, Correct. and you need to bring it together. Yeah, and, and, and exactly, and that's why communications, and that's why understanding people's styles and behaviours is critical. In fact, one of, one of the things that I, I I I decided that I wanted to become a practitioner in was was psychometric profiling. And uh, it's been such a revelation for 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 me, and and such a a huge advantage for me when I'm actually going in working with organisations. Like we, I, I have a program there, for example, that Enterprise Ireland are running called Accelerate, and it's a developmental program for management and so on. And there's one whole section dealing with um personality types and you know you you being the boss. Um. Now, when we saw that, we said. Okay, rather than just going through the theory of it, we are actually going to now insist that we bring in our psychometric profile. And it has absolutely revolutionized the program because it means now when you're talking about things like finance or sales or processes or people management, the the owner who's sitting around the table now understands his or her personality and how that actually impacts on their communication style in each of these areas, you know. And, and in particular in sales, by the way, right, which again, I, I, I have emphasized now a few times. I, I'm dealing with a person at the moment now, another story. I'm dealing with a person at the moment, right, who is, who is a very, I would call, introverted, analytical type of individual. Kind of a, a accountant of, type. A lot of accountants are <laughs> right? 
it's a great history book, okay? Now, this person has been put in charge of sales. Now, okay, because they, 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 don't, have, they don't have a choice, because, but they, they didn't find this out until the person was hired and there for three or six or 12 months, and right? But you're in charge of sales. Now, what do you think the person, what do you think that person is good at? I'll tell you what that person is good at. Good at analysis, good at um, research, good at uh, doing spreadsheets, uh, good at um, possibly identifying opportunities, right? So that, but that's only one aspect. What, what is that person not good at? Because, not, not because they're not good at it, it's because of their nature, right? They are not good at picking up the phone and say, hi, my name is John and can I come and meet you, right? Can I, can I enthuse you about my product, you know? Can I, can I go out and build a, a very strong personal relationship with you and say, how was the match going and how, how much do you think of Liverpool last night and all this kind of stuff, right? Sales starts with um, relationships yeah. and relationship building. Yeah. And, and it starts with listening and asking questions and presenting enthusiastically and then having the courage to close the bloody deal and say, listen, can we do a bit of business here, right? So... So when you understand the person's personality, by the way, then you might have a person then who is the opposite to that, who might be a real outgoing, but is probably, if you pardon the French, probably crap at, at um, filling in uh, timesheets or crap at paperwork, right? Or even following up. Or following up. You know, they'll follow the next shiny light. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And then... Um, so that that's and 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 what we help help people to do in that in that case is is stand where their strengths are and to work on the weak areas. You could have an aggressive person who's very good at sale but frightens customers because they're too aggressive. You have somebody who's too passive and just doesn't ask for the bloody order. You know, I I I remember a guy. He was a nice. I, I this um owner manager was with me one and. Said, Listen, I'd love you to listen to this guy. He he's come in once before, and I'd love to, I'd love you to hear his. He's coming for a final pitch, and we're spending about twenty grand on one of these big, massive um, photocopier kind of thingies, right? Just a huge thing. So I said, oh, yeah, I'll sit in with him. So this guy came in, and yeah, he was a perfect sales guy, now absolutely, you know, six with two eyes of blue, and uh, and he did everything now right, okay. But about five minutes before the meeting ended, he he said, "Listen, uh, why do, so why don't you think about it, right?" And uh, and and kind of closed it, and, and off he went. And I looked at the owner, and he looked at me, and he said, "If he had taken out the order to ask me to sign it, I'd have done it." Right. So the question we said afterwards: Why did that person do that? Right? It's possibly because of he might have heard the word no. So when you're in sales, fear of rejection and fear of failure is can be huge so that's the value i suppose really of 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 training people because you could have a guy who's or a girl who's out there who's fabulous at doing certain things but there's just little that one or two percent that they need to work on and sometimes that's the thing that actually can just just put you into a stellar a stellar position into the top five or ten percent of your profession in this particular case it was the guy he just he just didn't know how to close wow yeah. yeah, and it's possible that his company just didn't even understand that. Never, no, no, he, they were oblivious to it. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, might, yeah. No, I don't know did he get the sale later on, but what I'm saying to you is that is that it could have that could have taken now another month to to yeah. get over the line, whereas whereas he had it. So it's an interesting world, Susan, that I'm involved in. It's 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 def- definitely life beyond the numbers. <laughs> 
<laughs> but tell me, because it isn't fully life beyond the numbers. You mentioned a game. Oh, yeah. I, I suppose there are three things that, uh, that I use colours in my work. Psychometric profiling is obviously one. Number two is my 2143 is also coloured energies because um, blue is a very analytical, detailed kind of a colour. So that's step one. Step two is green, looking back the road you've travelled and Step three is, is, is yellow, about, about bright, sunshine, sunshiny, cheery, where we're actually going to get to. And step four is um, the action, which is red. Okay, Lighting so it, a fire. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Lighting a fire. Now, I've also developed a thing, Colin, people can look it up if they wish, it's, and you can get free access to it. Uh, it's a company called bingbong.ie, and the reason is, uh, and it's four colours as well. Essentially, what, we, what, I'm, what I've developed is a, is a piece of software that explains P&Ls and balance sheets to not just the students of, of accountancy, but also to the the, the SME world. Essentially, because the reason I, I use uh, the word bing bong is because, as you know, if you if you uh, accountancy is literally about about there's two boxes on a seesaw on one side and two boxes on the left hand side. And the two boxes on the right hand side are things like would be would be sales and and funding. And on the, bo the box on the left hand side is going to be assets and uh, and and expenses. So if you put if you put ten into funding, you have to put ten into someplace else, and that that and that goes into assets. You're right. Then you take money out of the assets and you put it into maybe other assets. That's fine. That's within the one box, and or else you take money out of the assets then and you put them into expenses, and so it has to balance, right? So I, I, I so I developed this technology that chartered accountants Ireland are very impressed with them. They've agreed to take on. Um, licenses for for next year's cap ones so it's an interactive colorful right brain way of looking at a left brain subject that's that's it susan in a nutshell right the, the lovely thing about it and what's enthusing me about it is that i've i've spoken to my some clients in the other accountancy bodies across the globe and they all love it as well they think my gosh yes so so watch the space maybe fantastic and, no it sounds great and i think yeah. Interactive learning yeah. is the future, isn't it? That's really? The That's the way, yeah. 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 In, fact, in fact, I'm working as well with uh, University College Cork, where there's a uh, Dr. Alice Darcy down there is working with a lot of companies in, in Ireland, and she's she runs a company called Steam, S T E A M E D. Oh, yeah. That's the science, technology, engineering, arts, and maths. Um, and she has developed a very interesting product there where they create maths in a box or engineering in a box or science in a box and they bring it out to schools so local enterprises around the place then maybe come in and they they're they're taught how to facilitate this particular program and of course the teachers love it because there's a couple of hours of their of their students being engaged in putting maths and science and technology into action with them I'm sure it's I'm sure it's kind of stick uh, lollipop sticks and glue and all that kind of stuff, but it's it, it's fabulous. And so I, I I I I think there's I think accountancy because of the seesaw issue is pretty simple, and uh, we're, so we're working on something like that at the moment. Brilliant. So accountancy in a box. Accountant, they are. Yep. Books in the, books in a box. Yeah. <laughs> the books in the box. <laughs> Bing so, yeah, bong is the name of it. What's that? Bing bong. Bing bong, B-I-N-G, B-O-Bong dot I-E, right? Um, and it's because, as you know, bing bong is that every time there's a, in accountancy, every time there's a bing, there's a bong. Every time there's, 
I wouldn't dream of using the word debit and credit, but, but every time there's a bing, there's a bong. <laughs> well, you might be blasting the stereotype there. Maybe I would be, Susan. Anyway, I, um... There'll be no more men in grey suits. It's now going no, to be colourful no. bing I, bong. Yeah, my, 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 um, my mission really in life, I think at this stage of my career, is to raise financial acumen in, in schools and colleges and, and, and universities and for people in particular who, who are doing their who are doing their professional exams, even in things like banking or law or whatever like that, who have to understand about finance of business. But unfortunately, and I don't mean this to be a criticism, it's just that's the way it's been done for years. And unfortunately, nobody has actually challenged it. People have tried to change it. But I think the way that it's it's actually been being taught, and I don't want to insult anybody here, but I think it's just been a very whiteboardy kind of books, tea accounts, and the feedback that we're getting from students, and we we're we're doing a lot of research in this area now, is that there's there comes a point when when it's kind of it's like associated with maths, and it's really not maths at all. It's, it's no, it's, it's definitely not. Bloody adding and subtracting. It's there's no, you know. Uh, there's nothing like it's not trigonometry or it's not as you know, algebra okay, a little bit of algebra maybe but but the point is that is that what in order for kids to get through the exams they're learning it by rote rote learning and if you learn something by rote the day after you will forget it yeah so my my mission really is to actually change that to the understanding yeah understand it yeah and I think, I mean, that's, that's a really interesting point, Billy, because for me, with accountancy in school, it was mm. something I understood. I absolutely loved. Yeah, I got it. And Whereas I had really, there was really smart people in the class who just didn't get it. I know. Yeah. That's the, that's the strange thing about it. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and what I've tried to do with this, with this uh, simulator, it's called the ACCQ simulator. What, what we try to do with this really is just kind of say, look, guys, you know, money's got to, money comes from somewhere and it's got to go somewhere, right? So, Jesus, like, come on, right? So where, where did the money come from? Where did the money go to? That's all you're doing in, in accountancy, right? So if you put 10 grand into the business, that's, that's your loan. Where did it go? Well, it went into the freaking bank, right? What happened after that? Well, it came out of the bank and it went into other, other capital items. Or it came out of the bank and went into expenses. Okay, there's your bloody bing bong, right? And as a result of doing that, your PL account, in fact, what the simulator, what it does is that it actually every time a transaction happens, it actually impacts the PL so and, and the and the balance sheet, and you can see it happening. You can, see it, you can see it happen. So anyway, have a look have a look, have a look at it, folks, and uh, and tell me what you think. And I'm Billy at Bing Bong if you want to send me some feedback. <laughs> <laughs> that just does not sound like the right kind of <laughs> But how does somebody connect with you in all seriousness, apart from yeah, Billy yeah, at Bing Bong? Well, well, if you're interested in that, it's Billy at bingbong.ie. But if you want to get me in, in my, uh, without my accountancy hat on, it's uh, Billy at the discovery partnership.ie. Okay, and, brilliant. Uh, I'm, I'm, more than, I'm more than happy to talk to people, and uh, even if it's only for a cup of coffee and have a, have a chat. Great. Well, Billy, it's been a pleasure to chat to you. Thank you oh, so much for your time. I'm, I'm so happy to have, have shared, shared this. So you, you flattered me when you asked me. But it's, been, it's been great. Thank you so much. Thank You're you so very much. welcome. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed our exploration of life beyond the numbers, please subscribe to this podcast. 
and share it with others who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers. <laughs>